0: God, would allow us to come into your holy presence in order to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, we thank you for all that has gone on before. And now we pray for your Holy Spirit's, uh, Spirit's anointing upon the proclamation of this word, and our preaching and our hearing. May you be glorified, your people blessed, in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn with me once again to Mark chapter 11, just Three, two of the verses that Pastor Harris so eloquently read, reading from the New King James Version. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father, David, that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest i want to preach today with the help of the holy spirit and i solicit your prayers from the subject the road to calvary the road to calvary and what i want to do today uh is just kind of chronologically walk you through uh some of the events uh that jesus faced uh from the first palm sunday to easter and then this coming week um our, our associate pastors Uh, We'll guide you through more of that. And we're just excited about this Holy Week and all that God has to say to us. Today is traditionally known as Palm Sunday. And many of us remember Palm Sunday from growing up, don't we? I mean, it was a very special time of year. And back in the day, people would have palms and they would give all the members palms. And we would walk into church and people would be waving their palms. It was a great, exciting day. Palm Sunday marks the final week of Jesus's ministry on earth before he actually arrives at Calvary's cross. On Palm Sunday, Jesus made his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. He was accompanied by his disciples and numerous well-wishers along the way. Many people spread their cloaks on the roads while others just simply laid palm branches down that they had cut off in the fields. There were even a group who went ahead of the processional shouting these words, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest is what they said. They were extremely excited. When Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, He went to the temple, the Bible tells us, and he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he left and went out to the town of Bethany with his 12 disciples. Mark chapter 11 tells us that on Monday, Jesus enters the temple area and he began driving out the money changers, those who were there buying and selling. That ought to tell us something about buying and selling in God's house. It should tell us something about the commercialization of God's house. He turned over the tables of the money changers as well as the bitches of those who were selling doves. He refused to allow anyone to carry on profit-making merchandise through the carry profit, making merchandise through the temple courts. And then he declared these words. Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? And then he chastised them, saying, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard what happened, and they began looking for a way, the Bible tells us, to kill Jesus. They feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teachings. In in Mark 11 verses 27 through 23, Jesus has another verbal confrontation with the chief priests and the teachers of the law. It's intensifying. This time they question his authority. In chapter 12 and 12 and 13, Jesus teaches lessons about his resurrection, about the paying of taxes to Caesar, about the greatest commandment. Jesus even teaches lessons about the arrogant, self-centered teachers of the law who abuse power and use the people for their own personal gain. And then he taught lessons about the signs concerning the end of the age. These events... Take us to Wednesday. Chapter 14 continues the movement of Jesus towards the cross with him reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. The Bible tells us that a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and she poured the perfume on Jesus's head. Some of those in the house, verse 4 reveals, were indignant among themselves. That means, being indignant among themselves, that means that the ugliness of their speech disclosed the malice of their hearts. They protested saying, why was this fragrant or wasted, it. And, and one of the questions I asked myself and I asked my wife yesterday at the table as I discussed this was, what business of if, uh, was it of theirs anyway? It belonged to her. She could do whatever she wanted to do with it. We, we got control issues going on. What did they have to do with whatever she could do, whatever she wanted to do? It was her perfume. But they became indignant. And they said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? And they went on to say it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. They rebuked her harshly. They scolded her cruelly. But Jesus said to them, leave her alone. She poured perfume on my body beforehand, preparing me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And at the table yesterday, I could not help but think about, here it is 2,000 years later, we're preaching a sermon today, and we're doing exactly what Jesus said was happened. We're talking about this woman. Why? Because this woman was motivated by mission and not by money. Are you listening to me? Don't miss this. She was motivated. This woman, who, whom traditionally known as Mary Magdalene, traditionally known as a prostitute, this woman had caught the vision. She was motivated more by the mission and not The money. Now notice immediately following verses, in verses 10 and 11, a a stark contrast. There's a stark contrast about to happen. and, 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 And the writer puts it this way. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the high priest to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this. And they promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. Do you see the contrast in the text? Judas was motivated by money and not by the mission. The woman was motivated by the mission and not by the money. Oh, don't miss that. Uh, here, here's a footnote. Here's a footnote we must be ever mindful not to allow ourselves as individuals and not to allow ourselves and permit ourselves as a church family to slip off course and allow money to become our focus instead of the mission becoming and being our focus. Oh, all right, all right. Let me, let me, let me, let me put it this way. While money is used to support the mission, money is not the mission. Yeah, the mission is telling people about Jesus. That's called evangelism. The mission, and 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 that's what Pastor Joe is leading our evangelism team. The mission is teaching those who know Jesus. Christ already as Lord and Savior, how to know Him better. That's called discipleship. That, that's what Pastor Harris is, the team he's leading discipleship. The mission is about being the hands and feet of Jesus all around the world, here at home and internationally. That's called missions. That's the team Pastor Stevens is, is leading. It's about mission. Missions involves the building of strong families in the church and in the community. That's the team Sister Stevens is leading our marriage and family ministry. We must be mindful of what our mission is. And when money becomes the mission, the size of the church's bank deposits and the growth of the church's bank account becomes more important than the growth of God's kingdom agenda and the amount of money we deposit into spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. This text reminds us to make sure we remain mission focused and not money focused. And so I'm just delighted as we talk about preparing to go to Haiti because it reminds me that Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church is a mission focused church. Because as we had our Vision 2016 ministry, I came before the church and I asked the church to give $5,000 aside for evangelism, $5,000 for discipleship, $5,000 for mission, $5,000 for marriage and family. And the church unanimously approved it. Why? Because they were mission focused and not money focused. We're mission focused. That's the reason why people have been bringing shoes and and clothes. That's the reason why uh, Pastor Stevens said, Pastor, we're not going to be able to take all the stuff that we've accumulated. That's all right. We take it next year. But that's mission-focused. That's the reason why not one dime of tithes and offerings are used to be paid tickets, transportation for those who are going to hate it. Everybody who's going to hate it is paying out of their own pockets. That's because people are mission-minded and not money-minded. If they were money-minded, they would say, no, I need to keep this money for something else. But God said, no, you need to use this money for mission. It reminds me of the church treasurer who had a goal of reaching a million dollars in the church account. And once they reached a million dollars in the church account, uh, eventually the the congregation uh, was in dire need of money to build a new building so that the church could, could worship and Christian education could take place and fellowship could take place. And, 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 but, but the cost of the building would reduce the million-dollar goal in the bank account. And so the treasurer fought the building program tooth and nail. Needless to say, he lost the battle, and the building was built but not without turmoil caused by some whose focus was on the money rather than being on the mission. And our challenge to us from the text, as we grow in dollars and cents, that we remember what our mission is. Our mission is to tell people about Jesus, to train them and be the hands and feet of Jesus all around the world, whatever it takes in terms of dollars. I can tell you I've been preaching now for about 38 years and and wherever God guides, he always provides. And one of the quickest ways to draw up God's resources is to begin to hoard them, become money-focused, and stop doing mission. And monies will draw up, and infighting will take place, and the church will become idolatrous, worshiping self, and it will turn inward and implode. So it was from Bethany. Jesus and his disciples traveled to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. Jesus explains to his disciples that one in their midst was a betrayer. Verse 19 states, they were, were saddened, and one by one they said, surely not I. Jesus assures them that the betrayer was in the house, and in fact would dip bread in the same bowl with me, Jesus said. And he then took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it saying, take eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup saying, this is the blood of the, of, of, cov- of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. The next prophetic word Jesus gives in route to Calvary is this. He 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 says, that there will be a falling away of one of the disciples. Peter, verse 29, vehemently denies the charge of Jesus, saying, even if all fall away, I will not. Notice verse 30. Jesus declares, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. Verse 31, Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And the others said the same. Jesus moves to the garden of Gethsemane, where he submits his will to the will of God, the Father. He leaves the garden and he meets Judas in a crowd armed with swords and clubs. And as a signal to the chief priests, teachers of the law and the elder, Judas goes at once to Jesus, identifies him as rabbi with a kiss. With a kiss, with a kiss from his betrayal, Jesus is arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin council, which was the religious court of the day. They all condemned him worthy of death up to this point. The abuse Jesus endured was verbal up to this point. They had verbally abused him. However, after this point, physical abuse becomes a part of his journey towards the cross. Oh I think sometimes we take it lightly all that Jesus went through for us. Sometimes we take it lightly in terms of of what the Lord did for us. But notice verse 63 through 65, the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all said unanimously, He is worthy. Of death, Verse 65. Then they then they began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists and they said to him, prophesy. And the guards took him, the Bible says, and beat him. Just as the council gets done interrogating Jesus, Mark reveals the fact that Peter denies him three times. The rooster crows twice, and Peter breaks down and weeps. All of this is happening if Jesus makes his way to Calvary's cross. Oh, when we think about the things that he endured for us, it ought to make us want to serve him all the more. How can I lay in my bed on Sunday morning thinking about what the Lord has done for me and not get up and come out to his house and worship him? How can I allow the offering plate to pass me by, realizing that this is my opportunity to give to his work in in, in light of all he's done for me? And so Friday comes, and Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate the Roman governor. Now, the thing with Pilate was he really did not want to condemn Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 27, 19, while he was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. His wife said to him, don't do it. It's ugly. Don't go there. It's messed up. Don't participate in that. It's not of God. And in the last attempt to prevent crucifixion, Pilate offered, as was the custom at the Feast of the Passover, to release one prisoner upon the people's request. And a man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. In verse 8, the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what they usually did. verse 9, do you want me to release the king of the Jews, knowing that it was out of envy that the chief priests had him handed over? Verse 11, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. Isn't it amazing what mean people can do? Isn't it astonishing what people can do when their minds are bent on doing wrong? Isn't it amazing how people refuse to listen to biblical reason, biblical rationale when they already have their minds made up to do whatever it is they want to do? Well, that's what happened in the text. Pilate demanded of the people in verse 12, what they should shall do? What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? Verse 13, they cried out, crucify him. Verse 14, a bewildered Pilate retorted, why? What crime has he Committed. Why? What has he done wrong? Why? What justification do you have for nailing him to a cross? Have you ever asked yourself why? And to his apparent dismay, they shouted even louder. With made up minds, with darkened hearts, they shouted louder, crucify him. And with those words from the crowd and Pilate's desire, to please them instead of doing what's right. Did you get that? And Pilate's desire to please the crowd rather than go with God. Have you ever been there? The precious on to follow the populace rather than follow what God said. And Pilate's desire was to please the people. Rather than please God, he released Barabbas to them and handed Jesus over to be crucified. Oh, during this holy week, be careful about pleasing people. Oh, during this holy week, be careful about standing with popular opinion. Oh, during this holy week, may we be strong convictions to stand with God regardless of what the popular polls say stay with God you always right stay with God you're always on the right side stay with God he'll always make a way no matter how dark and dismal if you stay with God he'll always bring you out at the right place and soldiers came and led Jesus away into the palace They put a purple robe on him, and they twisted a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They began to taunt him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Chapter 15, verse 19 reveals again and again, repeatedly, they struck him on the head with a staff, and they spit on him. Sometimes we talk about the stuff that we go through. Over and over again, they struck him on the head with a staff, and they spit on him. Sometimes we moan and complain when when our feelings are hurt. They struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Sometimes we pout and cry and try to get our own posse together when we cannot have our way. But the text says they struck him on the head with a staff and they spit on him. They took the purple robe and put on him his own clothes. They took off the royal robe, put back on his own clothes, dirty and and torn and sore. And then they led him out to be crucified. Tremendous story. Gut-riching story. Heartfelt story of the reality of Jesus' pilgrimage towards the cross. It wasn't pretty. And so the road to Calvary reveals several truths about Jesus. First the road to Calvary reveals Jesus as a savior who cares. John 3:16 explains, for God so loved the world That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's a savior who cares. Why, Pastor? Because Jesus left his royal home in glory. Came down to a sin-sick, sin-cursed world. Sin-infested world. Because he cared. For us, when I think about our Good Hope team, whether you're praying for the mission trip to Haiti, whether you've given the mission trip, whether you said an encouraging word and for those who will be there on the ground, you show that you care when you leave your homes of comfort when you leave your air conditioning, when you leave your cars, when you leave your Walmart's, your Stade when you leave your Publix, when you leave your Rosses, when you leave your Golden Corral, come on, come on, come on. and you go into a land where if people get a bowl of rice and beans for the day, if a child is fed one meal a day, he's happy or she's happy. Yeah. Yeah. You show you care. It reveals your passion for helpless and and in some cases seemingly hopeless humanity. But that's what Jesus did for us. He came to a fallen humanity, a humanity which had fallen and could not get up on his own. Oh, no, Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall and all the king's horses. All the king's men could not put up there together again, but Jesus came, left his royal home in glory, came down to earth so that he can put all of us back together again. Broken hearts back together again. Broken dreams back together again. Hopeless people finding hope again. Helpless people finding help again. All because he cares. Oh, thank God that Jesus cares. He cares for the lonely. He cares for the lonely. He cares for the drunkard. He cares for the dope dealer. He cares. His caring is not only for us. Who come to church on Sunday? His caring is for those who are in the park right now and don't even know who he is. His caring is for the baby mama who feels lonely right now. His caring is for those who are incarcerated with no help. He cares. Oh, but secondly, the journey reveals a Savior who can. What can he do? He can save. From the guttermost to the uttermost. Jesus saves. Listen, Is he if he have to as the songwriter say, reach where down? Jesus can pick you up. There's no such thing as anybody who is outside of the grace of God, no matter what they've done or where they've been. No, we need to take off our halo, come down off of our self-righteous ladders and pietistic attitudes and realize that one day we were sinking deep in sin. Jesus lifted us up. He has the power to save all who call upon his name from the pity of sin. Even a thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus was saved by his mighty hand. And it's interesting. In that text, I read nothing where Jesus talked about what he stole, when he stole it, the conditions of the theft. All of those mad new details, we want to know. All of the juicy tidbits, Jesus cared less. All he cared about was one came and said, today, I'm receiving you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. We ought to tell people that in the grips of sin. Just cry out to Jesus. Just say, today, Lord, remember me. Not only is Jesus a Savior who cares and Jesus a Savior who can, Jesus is a Savior who satisfies. The reason some people are not satisfied in life is because they're not satisfied in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. You you see, simply stated, they don't know Jesus for themselves. They they have a lot of money. They have jobs. They have titles. They ride around the neighborhood in fancy cars. Some of them have great careers athletics and, and entertainment and whatever the case may be. And they look good. They live large. But the truth of the matter, deep down inside, they have no satisfaction. Searching and searching and and searching. Simply stated, they don't know Jesus for themselves. Nor have they given him first place in their lives. It's kind of like searching for love in all the wrong places. Nothing will work out right until we're right with God. I don't care how fine she is. It ain't going to be right until it's right by God. I don't care how good he looks. The relationship won't be right until it's right with God. Makes no difference about how much money he makes. It won't be right until it lines up with God. Line up with God and then peace will come. Satisfaction will come. And that's the reason why you can see people not much of anything materialistically. Not much of this world's goods at all. But just as content as they can be. I remember when I first came to this church and the daughters are here today. I ride past Mother Stanley's house right down the, on the side of the road. And sometimes I'll stop in and just sit down and and talk with her. But she had so much joy and peace. And even when she went to the nursing home, joy and peace. Why? Because she had a Savior that satisfied. My grandmother now is 107 years old, and she flew down here to be with us uh, when she was 100, and I think 101, and two, and, and and now she's 107, but she has so much peace. And my cousin told me just the other day, he said, well, Grandmama's not walking much anymore. She's afraid that she's going to fall. But every time I talk with her, she has so much peace, and she says, I'm, pray- I'm praying for you. I say, Grandmama, pray for me. I'm praying for you. She said, I'm praying for you. And she's ready to go home with God but not only is Jesus a savior who cares a savior who can a savior who satisfies but he's a savior who supplies there's not a need you and I have that Jesus can't supply in fact, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Paul says in Philippians 4:19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches by Christ Jesus. What this holy week re- re- reminds us of is that whatever you need, God's got it. And whatever you need, God will supply it. Whatever you're going through, God will guide you. Wherever you are, God will take care of you.